This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Movement. Get 15% off your holiday order by going to Movement.com slash BCPod. That's M-V-M-T dot com slash BCPod. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. C-I-S-T-E-R-S. We're in the house, but that don't mean we're the best. Hit it, Joey! Where my sister's at? Reva, where my sister's at? Hit it, Joey. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in my uh, senior pastor's office, and his admin is right outside, so I'm a little embarrassed. Oh, you're scared. Like, you can't beatbox. You're scared. Oh, you, oh, you, you? Can't, you can't beatbox at your church. Is that you're saying you cannot beatbox at your church. Well, let me tell you something about my JC. <laughs> What's up, bad Christian in the house? Wait, I'm ashamed that, of you. How was that Listen, your no, JC? No, 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 no. You're not JC. You are not allowed. You are not allowed to talk because no matter what, you would embarrass anybody, beatbox anybody, do anything. I'm in my church office. I can't do it, guys. You are the lamest pastor on earth. <laughs> yeah, your main what pastor wouldn't make a fool of himself for the Lord? <laughs> hey, if you deny Jesus, he will deny you. Exactly. <laughs> what 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 did your beatboxing have to do with Jesus? By the way, you said let me let me oh, tell you about Oh, just this thing that we do is called Bad Christian Podcast, where you beat you've beatboxed three hundred something times in a row. I just thought we would, <laughs> I just thought we would do it again. It's called being I don't reliable. Know what I, was thinking. I was kind of crazy thought. It's trustworthiness and reliability; those kinds of things matter in the long run. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just another example of your church suppressing our podcast. <laughs> and we have Pastor Greg Surratt, who is the head honcho of your church, right? One of the head honchos, I guess. Now he's coming yeah. on, so I'm going to ask him: Do they not allow beatboxing or music? I think it's that avoid every appearance of evil uh, thing in the Bible, and that can't that if beatboxing appears evil. So you have to, you yeah. know, you could call somebody else to stumble with it. I get it. Demonic <laughs> noises with your mouth. Right, you right. can't do that. He, yeah. he's, I mean, if somebody beatboxed two thousand years ago, you don't think they'd have been demon possessed? Obviously. <laughs> I have I always mean, obviously that, if somebody though. just broke it down big time like the fat boys then that would have clearly been demonic possession yeah back 100%. in Jesus' time so I understand but, that but I actually have always wondered I mean you since the dawn of man no matter what you believe when, when we were in this form You've all every human's been able to beatbox, yep, but did it only come into existence after, like in the twentieth century? After hip hop music was invented electronically, before anybody actually beatboxed. You don't think anybody? There's not like a caveman out there, you know? How many thousands, millions, hundred thousand, whatever you believe that walked around was just like. No, but you know what? I take it back. I guarantee you. You know how they used to use drums and tribal drums for war and stuff. Yes, I guarantee you they would train each other by just going. Okay, so as we approach the the enemy gates, when we come up to the lines, I want you to be like, yes, I'm sure they for sure. You know, so beatboxing has existed as long as drums have existed. I would say. I think I mentioned this on the other uh, another podcast though, but like just talking about that, like it is so crazy how intimidating drums are. I was at the uh, mm-hmm. Veterans Day parade and the drums when they were so loud, it it really was. I was like, whoa, this sounds so intense, and it was just a college band yep. playing. I mean, and so that is funny. Like the idea of music and music theory and explaining it probably. I mean, it even existed back then but it was all just verbal and uh, i mean obviously if you're going to war you're not trying to break down 
uh, you know, quarter notes and eighth notes and all that stuff. You're just telling people, like you said, you just go do 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 do, and whoever got that got to play the drums. Yeah, whoever just naturally could pick up on that and have that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I guess that's right. Probably right about that. Well, yeah, how y'all that, doing today? Yeah. Y'all in good shape? Yeah, I'm in good shape. I'm, I'm doing okay. Matt, how, how's how's life at the Carter household now that Reggie has uh, moved on with Maybell to uh, to doggy heaven? Yep, he's re- old Reggie. Uh, he went on. Uh, we had him fry. I didn't know if it was going to be this how soon it'd be, but he got even worse and we just. Got the appointment, oh. didn't. I don't think I'll ever regret letting him go er, on the early side, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, super weird weekend for us. I mean, just, you know, right, first thing in the weekend, about 3 o'clock Friday, they we had somebody come to the house, and I don't know. It's, it's probably hard to talk about, to be honest. Yeah, don't yeah. talk about it. It's too much for me because I can't imagine. Like, y'all saw him after he was gone. Mm-hmm. That I can't handle. That that whole thing. Like, I I mean – one thing you didn't for see, me, you didn't see Maybell. No, that 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 was a a blessing and a curse. One, I was her favorite human on earth, and I didn't get to be there when she died because we were on tour, and I was like in New York or something on the East Coast or something like that. And was I going to leave tour and fly home to put our dog down? No, I could not do that, and couldn't afford to do that financially. And so that was awful. At the same time, I can't imagine like having to see her for the last time and walk out that that place. Yeah. I just. Uh. I just hate that. Like, part of me envies you that you got to do it at home because Maybell, just in a place that, you know, she'd only been to that vet a couple times, and it just, you know, it's like some weird thing mm-hmm. that that's where you go to die. It makes me think just all, all the time. Like, here, two things that I don't understand about life is you you almost never end up in hospital or a hospital bed for the if you're if you're lucky or blessed or whatever you want to say. So the time you really do end up in the hospital potentially could be the time that you die. Mm-hmm. And then you're placed in a plot of land that you never went to during your life, really. Maybe you would stop by one time to make sure it was there or something. But I mean, like, you know, like my, my grandparents are buried in some plot of land that had nothing to do with their life or anything. And so the, the, just the things that revolve around your death that don't have the, like the same way with Maybell. She went to this room that she had not really ever been to before. Yep. And that's that was where it ended. Yeah, it was, just, it was real nice that they came. And, and, you know, that part was really good for him. It was it was. Yeah, that that part I, I recommend if you it, it costs, I don't know, probably cost five or six hundred dollars. It wasn't that bad, um, but worth that money for me to, to not have to take to, him down to the vet, which he hated. And he would shake and try to not go in anyway. Right. I didn't want gotcha. to have to go that way. So, so Toby, I mean, I, I hate I hate these kind of questions, but like, was Maybell cremated? I mean, Maybell was a really big dog. Well, I think they do that. Yes, I think. That yeah, they, we're, get, we're getting they, ashes. They'll be back in a couple of weeks. Oh, y'all are getting the ashes. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, we're part not of the package. That. But um, I mean, ours I don't, was, I mean, uh, I don't care that much yeah. about it. But Bridget wants I, them. I'm for sure. Whatever. I think they mostly have a, a a incinerator. I guess is what it would be, right? The same, you know, any same as for a human or something like that that you put if you want to be. Uh, cremated but you know, uh, you, you, no we're not you know, we didn't do that you know what's crazy is in the pastoral profession i'm starting to notice that cremation is the norm to where i'm actually really? kind of surprised when i you know get to a funeral home and there's like open casket and stuff and if you think about it i, I actually think cremation will be the main go-to and i, I, I think it already it is in some countries right? eventually I think it'll be yeah. a law eventually because there's just so much only yeah, so the much land, land on doesn't Earth. Make a lot of sense. And I mean, at some point they'll shoot you off into space, and it'll be this big expensive thing that people would do, and you'll oh, see your rocket awesome. of your of your granddad Gosh, shooting off into awesome. space. Or yeah, I like love that. that. I would, I, I would I, be I will, into that. 
I will say this because this will warm y'all's hearts a little bit. Uh, Richard looked sharp as hell. Oh wow, you like, saw his body, Richard, that passed yeah. away. Wow, yeah, like like seriously. I it, usually when you see someone open casket, you're like, oh, that's not how they looked, or oh, this is you know they were sickly, or they you know got in a bad car wreck. Richard looked dapper. I was, it, I mean, good, I, good, it good. just made I'm me so sad. I was like, what's up, buddy? Uh, death, man. man yeah, let, let me no good. listen. When I realized uh, this weekend sitting around, I was realizing since Georgia was born four years ago, since, you know, since Georgia, uh, I guess that was, yeah, she's four and a half. Our Bridget and I have lost three grandparents, two parents, miscarried a child and lost Reg in all in Georgia's <laughs> lifetime. Lord. Can you believe that? That's crazy. And I, I mean, I'd God. never had any loss at all up until that, and that, and that's so, like seven majors in four years. So that's that's interesting. I think what Georgia is going through, what our kids went through, and I I, I want to keep I want to I want you to keep me posted on this because our our kids they definitely see death in a in a different light than most kids their ages because of the same sort of thing. I yep. mean, for them, it's like death is very normal. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And yet well it just happens yeah. all the time. Well, so I mean, it, this is, uh, y'all listen to this. Listen, listen to this. Um, I'm on the phone with the, the person that I'm doing a funeral for. I'm on the phone and uh, it was the woman's brother who passed away. And so I get off the phone. William says, uh, so William's seven, Waylon's five. William says, Dad, what happened? I, I said, you know, somebody's brother passed away. I'm going to be doing the funeral. Waylon, who's five, who just hung out with his uncle Jared, my older brother, this summer and really bonded with him, he thought that I said, my brother died. And so I walked, <laughs> no. I walked into the kitchen and uh, William was just like, Dad, Waylon thinks Uncle Jared's dead. And oh, I turned no. around and Waylon, it just has a look of horror on his face. Like, he's just like, I cannot believe Uncle Jared is gone. Oh, I was no. like, no, no. So for about 15 seconds, he faced my big brother dying. Uh, I don't la- know why. Last week, <laughs> Matt really did get me. He was like, hey, listen, I just got a text. I don't know if you heard the podcast, but did he, you listen he, to he that, said, I just got a he said, I just got a text and uh, from Priscilla, jo- Joey died. That was because jo- he was saying, he said, Toby Joey was saying a, that, yeah. you had, that you had died <laughs> like you had said he did on the last episode. And then I interrupted yeah, was like, you, you were feel sick. really bad right now. But I just got a text yeah. from Priscilla. And he believed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was for so a second. You should looking. listen to the club episode. If you're in the BC club, you get that episode. But it's, it's oh, my, oh, yeah. I was just oh, making I'm a sorry. play. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. the BC. So you believed it for a second? You believed it for a second. He paused. Joey, you had the number one body that would stop. <laughs> That's the one I'm not be surprised about that. So yeah. Matt, did like, you say it in a in a very serious tone? Like were you I, just I was like, I did Matt? a good I pulled it off pretty well. But you can go listen I mean, to it. It was wow. very believable. I was like, great. Now I I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> this is awful. How do I tell everybody? Do I I just made a joke at Joey's expense? He's dead, and I don't know what to do. Like I don't know my emotions right now. I don't know anything. I don't know what to do. And then I, then Matt starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to mess around with it. You got to play jokes to survive, man. That's the way it works. But I got another one. I got another funny one with death and children and funny stuff that Joey's <laughs> gonna like. But before before I do that, I want to tell you about movement watches. So movement watches are. Uh, 
They're awesome. They're, they're something that my family wears, Toby and Joey have. People love these things. Everybody that I know that has it likes it. I put mine on this weekend because I went to a Christmas party. At my ne- Joey's wearing his right now. It's got a nice blue face yeah. to it. I went to a Christmas party, put on a red shirt, with you know, buttoned it up, which I normally wear a black T-shirt every day. But if I go out, I put on a collared shirt, and I put on my movement watch, and I head out, and inevitably, it'll get noticed. And so I think they're great. So... Holiday shopping can be tough, but thanks to movement, all that gift-giving anxiety can disappear with the press of a button. These watches make the perfect purchase for just about anyone in your life. That could be a guy or a girl. And remember, these things start at $95. So, you know, the, this company was started by two broke college kids. Good for them to be able to go from that all the way to having a, a, such a successful watch company. But They wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them, so they started their own company. So, um, you know... I've we started this podcast from scratch. They started this company from scratch. So very good. Uh, movement watches, like I said, started just ninety five dollars. And these are the kind of things that if they were in a department store, you'd be looking at four or five hundred bucks. But cutting out the middlemen, selling direct, being a new style company like this is great. So you know they cut out that markup. You can keep that in your pocket while getting somebody still a great gift. And at such great prices, movement watches. Uh, again, they're the perfect holiday gift. They have classic design, quality construction, and they're they're called styled minimalism is how they describe the look of these watches, which is perfect for me. Over a million sold in 160 countries. So get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to moot by going to movement.com slash bcpod. That's mvmt.com slash bcpod. This watch has a really clean design that makes a great fashion statement. Now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to mvmt.com slash bcpod. Join the movement. Okay. So so, something funny about kids and death. Again, Yeah, just one more. This is right up your alley too, Joey. And in the same vein that we're talking about. Joey's so excited about no. this. If you if you could throw in anything about sex, uh, uh, adult sex too, then mm. that would just maybe. There's one other twist that's kind of not quite there, but it's on a related topic that Toby likes. Um, yes. All right. So okay. So it will include robots. Yeah. And kids and death. Ooh. Good enough. Okay. And technology. Yes. All right. So I'm FaceTiming with my dad. He's, yeah. We call him Poobah, is what he goes by. So Georgia's FaceTiming with Poobah, showing him the Christmas tree, talking about Christmas presents. Poobah asks Georgia, what do you want for Christmas? And she says, I don't remember what she said. She just asked for a PJ mask, something or another. I don't know. Um, and then we said, what are you going to get Poobah for Christmas? And she looks in the FaceTime, she's FaceTiming, and she says, I want to get him a... She, he, she says, I'm going to get him a stuffed Jin Jin. Now, Jin Jin is her grandmother, Poobah's wife, my mom that died. So she says she wants to get him a stuffed animal version of Jin Jin that talks. Then she corrected herself and said, no, a robot Jin Jin that talks is what she wants oh to get Poobah. She tells him. And she said, but not with robot hands, regular hands. <laughs> I mean, just the idea that she knows that, yeah. and that isn't far off. Like, like that's it. That's that is insane. Yeah, I know. That is so oh crazy. You know what's funny about that? Like, I was reading. Uh, I was going. I was flipping through Facebook, and uh, I don't know if you call it flipping through, but I do. And uh, there was some somebody posted about uh, a sex robot, mm-hmm. and all the comments were, "Oh, that's disgusting! It's just it, it, depravity. It's just it looks like it's just for men to have sex with, and those men are messed up." My first thought was, 
Well, I mean, people said this, this very similar stuff about online dating, and that's held and will probably prevail eventually to be the the most way the, you yeah, meet totally. somebody. Secondly, what nobody understands is this particular article was how the robot, although it is a sex robot, uh, interacts with you. Like it, it potentially could be turned on. It can woo you. It can like certain things that you do, similarly to like a role playing game on online or something like that. You can get you know like. Back in my age, like Zelda or something, you can get better weapons, you can do this, you can become stronger, all that stuff. You could look at it like a real-life game in a way where you're wooing this robot or whatever. But what I don't think that people understand is sex is the base thing. That gets That's kind of like the easiest way to get in. Like, okay, you can have sex with it or whatever, and you're lonely. Okay, it meets your <laughs> base desire to have sex or whatever, right? The, the greater thing there is that it is becoming a companion. Like no, nobody's really seeing that. Like I, I, yeah. I feel like you know, because I always talk about sex robots and how it's going to be. You're basically I mean, like those Bitcoin people, the Bitcoin evangelists that have been in since the very, very, very beginning. And you've been talking right. about sex robots way before anybody else, and you're going to continue mean, to likely, champion right. the cause. It sounds like. <laughs> well, no, I don't want to champion the cause. I, it's just not bizarre or strange. Like, no, or you'll even be good weird friends that with that them. Happen. You'll take care of them. You'll have a bonding relationship with them. I, but I'm being serious. Like right now. In, fast forward 100 years, and, you're, and your dad is in the same situation. Lost a, compa- mm-hmm. a spouse, companion, friend, for, and he's 60-something, 70 years old or whatever. Is he w- really wanting to try and go no. back and, and woo somebody or figure that out? Or a an immediate friend that is there to listen to you, knows and enjoys Clemson Tiger football sports if you want, uh, can play whatever. Like It's just like Siri, yeah. but real. But and way better. I mean that that won't be weird. That's That'll better be than trying campaign. to find some thirty five year old that wants to get you know try to steal my inheritance. Right, right, one hundred percent. I mean, I'm not, you're not even joking. Like, think about what kids will go. Oh, well, you got a robot, but I get the you know the life insurance policy. Yeah, right. You right. know, Sheila from down the road and stealing that from me. That's right. That's or right. You know what I mean? Like that. It's going to be one hundred percent normal, and you're going to see it more and more. And the 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 most interesting thing to me, though, is the idea of the moral implications of how will humans treat androids or mm-hmm. robots or AI? It'll how all, will, it, listen, it'll be everything. It'll be. I'm telling you, if, when they get good enough to where you feel naturally, uh, impulsively, mm-hmm. and intuitively sympathetic to them, like some people yeah. say now. That if you you know those room those things that vacuum that automatically run around Roombas that run around and vacuum your house, yeah, automatically. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you kick them, people get mad at you, like like because they they seem kind of like they know what they're doing. So can you yeah, imagine? Like, I'm yeah. serious. Like it triggers. Uh, you know, yeah. like if you see if you see people being mean to those Boston Dynamics robots that they make, where they try to kick them over to see if they can keep their balance. People find that mean. They get mad about it. It makes them feel bad so, for the robot. So, so when you have a Matt, real re- realistic robot like Siri that's doing stuff, and you go to a bar with it, and somebody else talks down to your lady that's a robot, you're gonna kick their ass. I mean, this, uh, you, you know, and, you're and you feel, won't feel bad because she will be so superhuman strength and can guide yeah, you back. That's right. That's right. Any bar fight, you might could win. Yeah, that's true. That would be awesome. I mean, that's so, really true. So, isn't the debate here revolve around consciousness? No, yeah, uh, but it doesn't te- matter. We're, we're not technically yes, and these, this wouldn't be conscious, even though it could in the long run. Probably, probably not. That's not what we're talking about. If it appears to be conscious, if it feels. If it if it emulates consciousness and acts like a conscious being, humans will not be able to avoid thinking of it that way and acting accordingly. Yeah. That's the I mean the, I, the philosophy. I, I, de- I have no problem with. I think there Most is humans, a some demo- people won't. I, I think it may not be everyone, but I think there's a huge demographic 
of people that will feel like their needs are being met by robots. But I also think there's going to be a lot of people, especially early on, that's just like, no way. Like, there's no relationship. Right. There, but that'll, you know, but that'll said. just go away right. when it's, per, it's imperceptible. I mean, w- once it feels real, it just is going to be real. That's the way people, I mean, Matt, behave. Matt, do you, do you think that AI ever has consciousness? Is that even a, can I, I, I don't, what about I don't the know dummy? about that. Can the no. dummy answer here? We are preoccupied with consciousness as if it's something that is amazing. Like Matt and I have talked about this before, but the bias there is that, oh, we are special. We know we are alive. I think therefore I am that the idea of that is being uh, the the ultimate thing that would make something of worth isn't true. That just isn't true. Like that that idea of our consciousness isn't necessarily the thing to be achieved mm-hmm. or uh, the thing that is the is the most important. Like it, what I, I mean, it would be way better if we didn't care about consciousness and didn't know about it and treated each other better, for example, or something like that. Like we didn't kill and murder and rape and do bad stuff like that. So I think that we really live in a bias the same way. Our initial reaction is, oh, some robot that looks like a woman and that man is going to just go have sex with her and he's terrible. Like our idea immediately when we think about technology is it's gross or (laughs) ugly or morally reprehensible or something like that. When in fact, no, it is, hey, by the it way, is pro- by the way, the progression of our humanity. We, I mean, by the, the way, in fact, no the way dude, we treat AI and robots will be a reflection on how good we are. That's probably no dude right. thinks that's gross. By the way, there's not one dude that. Uh, there's some gross. for sure. Uh, uh, ask Pastor Greg <laughs> how many how many AI sex robots he wants sitting beside beside men and women in the. In well, the you, that's what I'm saying. You, you know, you call it a sex robot. You've you've weaponize right. the language there like you're exactly I, right if you call I mean, it an artificial companion and then eventually there's sex involved then you would not think the same way about that but like if right. i if i hit someone uh on the road and i got out and like i an saw animal. yeah no a person and i oh, saw okay. that their leg was busted up and that there were a bunch of wires and circuits mm-hmm. and all that stuff i would be like thank the lord like I'm so glad I didn't kill somebody. Like mm-hmm. I, right now, I, but fast forward a hundred years. But what if it was still looking at you with a human face and screaming about the agony it was in and begging you for help? Right now, what? I would say I would you would say you wouldn't laugh. Lying. You wouldn't go. That's hilarious. Look at that thing. <laughs> no, you would. You, I mean, you'd feel right. something. You wouldn't feel nothing. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not saying it's the same. And if it's if it's what I'm saying is if it emulates consciousness, you'll be none the wiser. And if there is true artificial and super intelligence at some point in the future, general intelligence, mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And it can emulate consciousness. It'll actually be smart as or smarter than us to the degree where we'll never know. We won't even if there are, is a, a beings that are, you know, artificially intelligent like that, and they pretend to be conscious. We won't necessarily have access to know. So one right. of the big worries is we could accidentally create conscious beings that suffer and not even know it, or hmm. we could create beings that are not conscious at all, but we think they are. And they, you know, both are possibilities that we may not have access to knowing what would be possible. But it's, but going all the way back, Ray Kurzweil, the guy who one of the big guys in uh, artificial intelligence, ending death, yeah. not uh, you know making robots, trying to upload consciousness. He, he's been trying to work toward those things um, for a long time. And one of those, he's like one of the gurus, like almost the spiritual leader yeah. of the AI movement. Well, he's the guy regards. that what he say like in thirty or forty years we might live for. Uh, uh, Hundreds of years. Yeah, he's the one I think that came up with the term singularity for it. And, you know, it's just one of the most, you know, figures of the really, the almost religious movement behind the AI stuff. But one of his main goals is to reconstitute his father. 
is one of the things that he's been very motivated by is wow. that he believes it would be possible to take previous data and stuff and re, you know and they say if you had something like this podcast and combined it with robotics and everything else in the future and you had hours and hours and hours of behavior recorded in audio form and reactions and and deep learning could do that you could probably reconstitute somebody pretty well enough that it, you know it might be reasonable that you would be able to feel like you were around a reconstituted version of me if the robotics got good enough and then they analyze my speech and right. reactions and personality enough it, it, it's so scary to me, like even having uh, Greg Boyd on last week, I, I still, I don't, I, okay, I would have said I'm similar to him in most ways, like grew up Pentecostal and then uh, probably Ar- fell into the Arminian idea and then kind of gotten, uh, moved on and and uh, became more like, of a, I guess, a Calvinist in a way or just felt like that's that's right. I, all that to say, I don't know if we have much free will still like I I, I may I, I don't know where we're at so I really do without free will it does seem like you could reconstitute somebody there's a specific formula mm-hmm. and choice like I was watching uh, I don't know so if Greg, seen, Greg Boyd Joey, did, did you see uh, for you. <laughs> did you no he was great he was actually great I really enjoyed it and I'm just saying I don't know if he I, I, I think open theism is a great idea and I, I'm learning more about it but I still feel like we don't have much choice like I, yeah have y'all seen uh Jim and Andy yet about uh Man mm-hmm. on the Moon with, with yep. Jim Carrey. Joey, have you seen that documentary on Netflix yet? But no, in, but it's, it's great. super it's interesting. Great. It's all yeah, the behind-the-scenes right. stuff. It's very interesting. You'll love behind it. Behind-the-scenes on the movie or Andy yes. Kaufman? Yes, it's when yeah, Jim played, Carrey was yeah. being Andy Kaufman on yeah. and off set. It, was, it covers that period where he was, you know, While he was on set, he never Andy got Kaufman. out of character. He never <laughs> stopped. Great. And, and, and so he's like an asshole to people. He's crazy, all this stuff. But he makes a comment, and I thought this in so He's like, he doesn't really believe in free will. He says, right now I'm going to take a drink of this tea. Am I choosing to take a drink of the of the tea, or did I just it just that was what had to happen? Like, mm-hmm. it, was this my choice, or there is no free will? There's just tea, and, and it, the tea is pouring into my throat and into my stomach, and I'm you know like that. Like you couldn't pour be- other things or whatever. Like you don't have much. Everything that you free do will. is what you would do in that situation. Exactly. Basically. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, whatever's about to happen is what I would do in that situation. <laughs> you know, another way to look at it is your thoughts arise and then when do you decide to think them right you, you know it's more so, like your right. thoughts rise and you decide to embrace them and maybe verbalize them maybe act on them maybe but even though and then but even that's built into who you are as a person but your thoughts themselves don't really originate from you they just kind of arise and then you see them and you notice them and you catch them you know cuz think about i mean you know. th- that right there i go to spiritual implications and that is where I jump off the horse of human responsibility. And, and <laughs> there you go. And I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with annihilationism in that regard, but I would not be okay with eternal conscious torment. But if God, it, it, like Calvinism to me is way more mm-hmm. palpable if you remove the hell deal because I can yep. kind of see putting someone out of their misery as a blessing. Sure. You don't know that you're not there anymore, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I, how can we be responsible for our actions if everything is just decided for us? I, I just yeah, uh, that's, that's what, what I told I, you. Missed the episode. I don't know if you want to go back and listen to it, but I, I, I said that to Greg Boyd that one problem with Calvinism, and I'm not trying to overreduce it, is that you'd have to say that the elect are in the minority of all humans that ever existed, right? So that means most likely every human that is born. That from that individual human's frame, most likely you're born 
and you're going to go to hell forever and burn, and there's nothing you could ever do about that. That's true for yeah, most right. people. Yeah, That's yeah. an implication of, I mean, I'm not trying to reduce it too much, but that would be, you know, mathematically true for Calvinism. And even if you think you're one of the elect, there's a good chance you aren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, can can you guys, because... Hey, Joey, can it, I, uh, before, you, before you move on, though, I want to talk about what you just said, the responsibility thing. Now, I, well, I will clarify this. Here's what I do think. I don't think you have the responsibility. For example, if I uh, am, if I go over to another country and all those folks speak really quietly, right? And I'm or loudly or whatever, or they or they look different. They all have long hair down to their butts or whatever. If I'm surprised by that or shocked by that or think it's different or fearful of it or whatever it might be, that that I'm not responsible for that initial reaction. What you are responsible for is to recognize that even if you don't have free will, that that happens and that your reaction can uh, change to that. If you're scared of somebody, that that initial thought isn't necessarily mean you're a terrible person or a sexist or a racist or hate-filled or, or whatever. Now, it will mean that if you decide not to change when that happens. So obviously you still believe in free will in that scenario. No, I don't think that's free will. Something happens and you go, okay, my reaction could be uh, murder the person with long hair. Or my reaction can be, wait a minute. So you have the choice? Assess, ass, assess if they are dangerous or not. No, you don't have a choice, really, in my opinion, because you, you still have a limited set of options. Uh-huh. You can you could kill them. You could marry them. You could love <laughs> them. You could talk bad about their back. I mean, there's maybe, maybe there's a million options, but it's still a set limit, in my opinion. There's still it's a limited a, a free vacuum. will, then you'll go with. Lim- yeah, maybe that's what I would say. Like, you got it. And. Uh, There's a lot of positions I, philosophically that right. exist that would be in the category of limited yeah, I, free will I, versus hard determinism all the way down. But, right. for example, I mean, like you don't ever. Uh, it, that's why it's so bizarre. Why, why is in our nature, like Jesus says, love your enemy? Most of the times, you don't. None of us do. Right? It, it's foreign. We it, and he said that because your initial reaction is to not love them. Is to destroy them, rid rid the earth of them, uh, get rid of your enemy. So Jesus comes and opposes that. And the idea to me is that there is that that option, but that's still mm-hmm. limited. But but so. see, that's interesting. I mean, I mean let me let me just complicate this. Let's let's say there let's say oh, there's God. a let's say there's a sex addict. Let's <laughs> just say his name like might a be bald Joseph. sex addict that just who <laughs> yeah whatever hey, theoretical. By, by the, we'll call by the way, I saw by the way I saw Blades of Glory for the very first time, and I just think it's wonderful. I was so excited that it was so good. <laughs> that decade old movie. <laughs> I know. I saw it for the first time. So let's say there's a what sex addict. No, just let it go. Because Will Ferrell's right, right. a sex addict. Back to the, the sex addict. A pastor <laughs> who's a you know a campus pastor who's a sex addict somewhere, maybe in so, Oklahoma or, or Nevada or something. So he. Yeah. So he just starts some therapy and he feels like he's making some great strides. Then he goes out on a Friday night with the fellas and some girl starts giving him attention and all that stuff. And some everything girl. Right, so, <laughs> so everything in him, he's just like, Man, just one last time. Just, you know, one last time and then I will I'll be one last time know, what? Have sex with her. Oh, like okay. One one last time, I'll I'll hook up with her, and that'll be the end. I will not do this anymore. And he is about to do it, and 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 he's just like, I'm even okay with this. I mean, I'm just gonna give my give myself. You know, my grandma died yesterday, and I, I'm just yeah. gonna give myself that one last chance. And then he just digs down deep, and he's like, No, I can't do it. I can't do this. And then he right. walks out of that bar, gets in his car, and he goes home. He could have easily gone both ways. 
easily. Like, I, there's no way that I can see that situation as, yeah, I mean, of course he was never going to do it. No, he was just about to do it. I just don't see how that's not a decision for him. But he didn't do it. So there still was it potentially could be not a decision or it's still limited. It was either do it or don't. It's not, and he didn't create either or whatever. Like it was, well, the, it was I mean, there's tons there of ways to look at it. Yeah. I mean, you could look at that any way you want to, including, uh, you know, God ordained or whatever. Yeah. Even God ordained or God intervening, neither one are his choice, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit could have said, right. don't do it. And so he had no choice but to not do it. I don't know. I, you don't. You yeah. don't think God can keep you from doing something? Yeah, I definitely do. Okay, but I mean, that's not you your free will, then. Yeah. Or you yeah, just always that, were that going to, and it was set up mathematically by the no, neuron, yeah. neural yeah. configuration that of your brain that you would debate you, it. God intercede no. because you asked him. Maybe that's probably the open mm-hmm. theism way. You you said, Lord, help me get out of here. Get get take take this away from me, and you know did that. You know, it'd be great. You know, it'd be so awesome. Is uh. To, to hear Greg Boyd and John Piper debate, that would be just so intriguing. Oh, my gosh. Because John Piper would tell a rape victim, yeah, that was God's will for you because he controls there. That would just be so interesting. He probably would say it maybe a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> no, he said it like that. He was just like, no, get over it. And that's how he says <laughs> I it. I don't think John Piper said it that way. <laughs> pretty sure he agonized over it. Hey, Have you ask, ever seen John Piper speak? He agonizes over every word. Ask Barnabas. Ask Barnabas. You know what kind of hell he grew up in? I'm just kidding. Pipers. Pipers, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Well, let's bring on Greg. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll bring Greg on. Greg is the uh, pastor at Joey's church, the head pastor, the founder of Seacoast, the man that is has allowed Joey to do what he does, retain his job, and do this podcast. So we've been wanting to talk to him for a long time and you know, poke around in there. So, Toby, why don't you tell him about Tooth & Nail's sale real quick, and we'll be right back with Greg. I certainly will. Tooth & Nail's having a huge, huge Christmas sale, and it's happening now across all of the Tooth & Nail label stores through the end of the year. All digital albums are $5, every single one. Everything else is 25% off through the end of the year, folks. That includes a huge amount of great bands. Uh, uh, Phineas, Tyson Matzenbacher, August Burns Red, Demon Hunter, Norma Jean, The Ongoing Concept, Copeland, Amberland, Fit for a King, Silent Planet, Dustin Kentrew, Citizens and Saints, King's Kaleidoscope, Wolves at the Gate, Starflyer 59, Civilian, and you hear me how many I just said? There's many, many more. Head to any of the label stores for Tooth & Nail, Solid State, Gospel Song, or BEC to see what all is available. To give you an idea, most vinyl is $13. Most t-shirts are $11. It won't be cheaper than it is now. So go pick up some of your favorite stuff and try out some bands uh, that you've never listened to on the cheap. A ton of stuff is available, so go check them out on solidstate.merchnow.com, toothandnailrecords.merchnow.com, gospelsong.merchnow.com, and bec.merchnow.com. Merry Christmas from everyone at Tooth and Nail Records, and thanks so much for listening to our bands. More great music will be coming in 2018.
All right, well, Pastor Greg, welcome to the show. We've been talking about having yeah. you on for years and years now, and then yeah. we've always thought maybe it's a terrible idea. We've we thought probably <laughs> the best idea is to make sure to fly under the radar and you not to know that we exist. But I yeah. guess we've, that's barrier's been <laughs> that breached at this point. So that did not work. Well, it may be a bad idea for more reasons than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a liability for you just to be here because now you don't have plausible deniability anymore. Oh boy! So that's the problem that's, for that's you. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what what is the uh, uh, what is the way that this podcast ever gets brought up or mentioned to you? I mean, how does it? How do you encounter it in the uh, you know in your? I'm not saying it's all the time, but when somebody brings it up to you, how does that interchange go? Usually, the interchange goes like I was in Toronto uh, for a conference a few months ago, and a couple of guys came up to me and they said, "Hey, Joey." on Bad Christian is one of your campus pastors. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you That's tell them? That's almost always tell, the tell context. Tell them what you told them the last time. That's dude. almost always the context. Didn't you tell them last, one of the times you said, well, we're just really hard up for campus pastors. Well, really <laughs> that's really not the reason. The reason is, you know, the, the question is, how can we allow Joey to be a campus pastor at Seacoast and still do bad Christian. And my answer is he needs an outlet for uh, swearing, for uh, <laughs> foul language, because we would fire him if he did that in the staff meeting. So he's got to have some place to... <laughs> actually, actually, the truth is I, I, um, I, I like what you guys are doing. Don't always agree. Joey will tell you that. And he's given me opportunity to, uh, uh, just on a couple of occasions, just to have, have a little bit of input. And my input was always no. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there are, uh, obviously, uh, people come in every, every size package, you know, and, um, it takes different, um, you know, different means, ways to open conversation with, uh, with everybody. I know we, one of our campus pastors, well, he's not a campus pastor now. He's actually Joey's boss, Sam Lesky. I just talked to him out here and. People are shocked that you're doing this, by the way. People at Seacoast. Really? Yeah. They're just like, yeah. Well, well, I was going to say, Sam uh, is full-time with us, but he's also the full-time football coach or the head football coach at North Charleston High School, which is like the uh, one of the most underperforming high schools in America. And uh, oh, I thought you meant the football team was the most underperforming. No, hey, they had a winning season this year for the first time in years. Nice, Sam. But... Uh, uh, they say, well, how how can how can you let Sammy do? Well, Sammy is impacting kids. That's what we do, and uh, I hope that Joey is impacting people in a positive way. I think but, so. I think so. Yeah. You, you know uh, what's interesting about that? Because I, I worked at Seacoast too for three years, and I would say um, now I, I almost feel like I'm in a different place with church and 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 everything, but. It, I did always feel welcomed at Seacoast, even though my personality was different, even though I felt like a different person, sometimes even felt like an outsider, even though I worked at church, feeling outsider church in general, not not even talking about just Seacoast. I worked at Marcel too, uh, two, two mega churches. But it's, it's interesting. One of the things that is shocking uh, or, or so cool is that you have allowed this to happen. Like it, there is some danger level for, for Seacoast being associated with a campus pastor, but doing an edgier podcast, or even like you said, like Sam or somebody taking a job outside of Seacoast like that. 
Um, and you guys don't really like being controversial. Like, how do you stay out of the controversy? I mean, that, that like the number one thing that happens in today on social media everywhere, news, every possible person is looking for controversy. Yeah. And yeah. you guys seem to fly under the radar. How do you how do you do that, Greg? Um yeah, you I, I remember uh you and Joey came in to pitch me. This is before you sold out and moved to Nashville. <laughs> but you and Joey came in to pitch me on doing a podcast. You said, you know, I think you could do a podcast. I think it'd be great and all this. And and I said, you know, it may be so. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it. But the the ones that are really good, including you guys, are are edgy. You're controversial. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, I think sometimes some of the guys I know, you know, they're on the edge of a train wreck. And I think people listen to them to kind of like you watch NASCAR because I want to be there for the crash, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And um, uh, it's not that I want to avoid it that much. I just don't know that I'm all that controversial. Yeah. You know, some people are wired up, you know, that way. You know, a few times I've tried to channel my inner Mark Driscoll and just yell at people, but it's really <laughs> ugly when that happens. It really is. I it's, mean, what's what's crazy about all this, though, is you are uh, rubbing shoulders with a lot of pastors. I mean, couldn't you say pretty authoritatively that no other church would would stand for this? I mean, I don't know. You know, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which for me, I sometimes think that you have uh, so many people that respect you and you, you know, there's a lot of younger hit pastors that, and, and I think you kind of are able to have the attitude of, I, I, I've done this for so long. I can do what I want. Not in an arrogant way, but it's just like, no, I know what I'm doing. And there's a certain amount of credibility that comes from longevity. There's no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'd, I'd probably be doing this if I was, uh, you know, back in the day a little bit. <laughs> so so it's, it's up to Pastor Greg whether or not he wants to, uh, you know, go further into this, which I would imagine he would not. But, I mean, he's been invited by presidents or maybe one president or two. Two. Pres- yeah, two presidents. And did you go to both of them initially? No, I was a little arrogant on the first one. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's been to the White House to decide whether or not he was going to be on a, I guess, a religious board or something like that. Yeah, advisory and then, team. And then you recently met with uh, Bono from U2, right? Ah, uh, let's drop some names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that was cool. That was cool. Now, you know, um, I'll just go into it. I mean, uh, and, and why me? You know, am I that big of a deal? I don't think so. The issue is with politics is the first, uh, what do they call it, primary in the South is South Carolina, and usually you don't win the presidency without winning the South. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, around election time, all the candidates land here. And I, I remember one Sunday in church, we had three, I think, presidential candidates in the audience, and I said something like, there must one be One was a Hillary? Revival. Huh? Was one Hillary? No, Hillary is not. And I even <laughs> reached out to her, to be honest with you. I, nice. I said I would love to meet with her. Uh, through some of of her people, but I never heard anything from. No her. point in her anyway, wasting time said, in South Carolina. What, Everybody knows that. That's just it up what here. I said was uh, either there's a revival in Washington or uh, it's uh, presidential primary time in in, in Charleston. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so here here's what I really like about Pastor Greg is I I told him 
up front that, you know, I think he's pretty familiar or he's aware of our listeners. And a lot of our listeners are either unchurched, de-churched, don't want church, are in a house church, and, you know, they don't want to go into a big church. Then we have a lot of people that, hey, they they go to the uh, church in the Highlands and Saddlebacks and uh, those sorts of things. Um, but we would love to kind of just... As as our pastor, we would love to put you on the hot seat with some sure. of the stuff that yeah. our that our listeners get upset about, and quite frankly, we talk about as well. And I, Josh, told me something, and I was just like, uh, "So Josh Surratt is Pastor Greg's son, who uh, leads Seacoast, and I'll never forget when he said this, and I was just like, "How? Um, I mean, and we'll stop talking so highly of Seacoast here in a second, but I was like, "How in the world can a place like this exist?" Like Josh actually told me, he said. I would imagine that you would probably even say negative things about Seacoast, but I trust that it will be done in an honoring way. And I was like, good gosh. I mean, you, I mean, you set that environment. Yeah. Well, if it's not done in an honoring way, we just fire your right, behind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's dig right into this. One of them is spending money on really big stuff, really expensive sound equipment. And mm-hmm. I know you've heard it before too, because we've heard stories and campus pastor meetings of people being like, why do you need all these TV screens and, and all this? But, you know, a lot of people, they see the large buildings with all the technology and they know all the money signs and they're just like, why, why not just give that money to poor people? Like mm-hmm. that's a very simple statement to throw out there. I would imagine it's a little more complicated than yeah, that. Yeah, it's a little more complicated. It's a legitimate question. You know, why spend tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars on video and uh, technology and all of that? Uh, you know, um, a couple of questions I would have is, what's the right amount to spend? Okay? You know, I mean, wh- wh- what is it? Where? What's the number? And then what is the right amount to give to the poor. And you might say, well, you know, the rich young ruler, Jesus said, give everything. Well, did he tell you that? Uh, not a lot of people are doing that. But we do have a responsibility, there is, w- without a doubt, uh, to the poor. And uh, so so what's the right amount? So let me, let me break that down a little bit just in my thing. You guys can push back. But, um, you know, if you had a church of 50 people, let's say, all right, and you're meeting in a, meeting in a rented space, you wouldn't need to spend a whole lot of money on sound lighting and video. You know, maybe maybe a little microphone, maybe a light to light up the place, and that's about it. Now, because I'm kind of a church nerd and crunch the numbers, um, the average person in church, man, woman, or child, gives $1,000 a year toward the church. That's the average number. So if you have 50 people, what's that? $50,000, right? And uh, so you've got a $50,000 budget. You're not going to spend a whole lot on sound, light, and video. Uh, You're going to need to probably pay a pastor. They can be bivocational, but generally they're going to get something. You've got to pay for the rent. So you come up with, you know, here's our budget. What are we going to do? And a lot of, most budgets are basically pretty similar regardless of the size. And uh, maybe maybe you tag a percent, you know, maybe it's 10%. We need to give at least 10%, maybe it's 20%. Pick your percentage, doesn't matter. Uh, let's say 10% we're going to give to the poor. And so that's, you know, $5,000. And we haven't spent hardly anything on sound, light, and video. That's admirable. Yeah. So let's let's put some zeros behind that. Let's say that you're a church of 10,000. 
how much money are you going to need to put into sound, light, and video? Quite a bit more. Right. And some of those numbers seem like, wow, that's a lot. Well, let's let's extrapolate it out. 10,000 people would be, mm, what, $10 million, something like that. And uh, let's say that you gave the same 10%, that would be a million dollars that you gave to the poor. Well, who gave more? Right. Well, in, in one sense, you gave the same, but in another sense, you gave a lot more. Uh, and and I'm, I, let me tell you where it's at for me, where it gets exciting, is, um, and we'll probably talk about church planting, but if you were to take a little bit of that and plant churches with it, for instance, the Ark has planted 733 churches in 17 years, and uh, 90% of them are still going, so I don't know what that number is, Six. And I'll tell our listeners, the ARC is Association of Related Churches and probably the, the you know, one of the bigger yeah. church planting It's one networks. of them. And they but built anyways, the big ARC in Kentucky. Yep. Is that no, the same it's thing? Not the same one. Oh, see, that's different. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, and I'll, I'll jump to the chase. Um, uh, it, it, those churches we've trained to give, you know, 10% away. And so that number then is about $26 million mm-hmm. per year. Um, and some of them have really, really nice light video situations because they're very large. So the, 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 again, I go back to, um, they're, they're all, all ways of looking at that, that issue. I think we all believe the same thing, but what is the right number? Mm-hmm. I think too, with that, one of the things is how do you see, this next generation, maybe it's the, the the millennial generation and even the one after that, because they are the ones that are the big pushback. Like, for example, my my dad, who's 65 years old, uh, would think he doesn't go to Seacoast. He grew up in small Pentecostal church. My granddad was mm-hmm. a pastor and all this stuff. We grew up very, very minimalist churches, 40 people, you know, barely had a sound system or anything like that. He would really be attracted and welcomed and feel that Seacoast is great because he grew up poor. He thinks, "Oh man, the church is doing good. This is this is pretty neat." But what do you see? Uh, like the next generation, are are you guys thinking that through? Like as a staff, as uh, the leaders, just with Seacoast or whoever you come across with, talking with other churches, what is it looking like in the future? Because what if they're what? It, how obligated are you to the congregation with something like that? Like what if they're just like, "Yeah, we don't care about the big building or the sound system. We want less." Is that something that you guys are thinking through? Or yeah. is that like where you're at now? No, well, we, we're talking about that. I mean, I, I talk about that all the time with, uh, you know, one of the first questions people ask me is what's next? You know, where is it? What's what's going to go on with the church? And I see a uh, uh, bigger and bigger percentage of people opting voluntarily uh, into uh, online experiences, even when they live across the street from the church, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll go, yeah. I'll cruise Instagram on Sunday and you'll see somebody saying, Hey, I was watching Seacoast from my bed, you know, or, or, uh, you know, at the beach and you know, I can't change that. I, I think, I don't think everybody will go there, but I think it's going more toward uh, more individualized experiences. So we've got to figure out how do we make community mm-hmm. when we say millennials, I, I don't think one size fits all there either. Yeah. Uh, I know I was, uh, I had the uh, opportunity to go spend some time with the Marriott corporate headquarters, one of their vice presidents in Washington, D.C., uh, with, an, uh, with a gr- small group of pastors, because we were asking the same thing. What's the future look like? What are uh, millennials? And those guys are studying it, because, I mean, 
that's their money every day. And I could go on and on and on about it. But the, the thing I came away from is that there isn't a one size fits all millennial. There are some millennials in the Marriott world that they want a Ritz Carlton type experience. There are other millennials in the Marriott world that they want it bare mm-hmm. bones and, you know, whatever. And I think it's the same, probably church wise. I know some guys that uh, are drawing lots of millennials with a big show. Yep. And I know others who are doing it a different way. So I think there probably is many, one size doesn't fit all. Well, Greg, while we have you here, I would like to uh, go through <clears throat> just to be as fair as we can. I want to make sure that the stuff that we're complaining about, you know, week in and week out that I, uh, <clears throat> that we bring up to you instead of uh, avoid it. So I'm going to try to run through a few uh, megachurch criticisms and questions about the future and stuff we typically talk about so that it doesn't feel like we've pulled punches here. But um so one of them would be, and I'll stay in that future mode because I love to think that way and make predictions, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, how about the one thing that we talk about on the show a lot is the future of mega churches. Uh, and while you say that millennials are not, uh, you know, they're they're varied too. They they probably won't necessarily be the same, have the same variations as the Generation X and the Boomers. So although there will be different strokes for different folks there, it'll have a different proportion. And I do think we'll see a big landscape change in the megachurch is what I believe. Um, but one of the issues that seems like it's just obvious an obvious trend and going to be come to more and more of a head is the LGBTQ and affirming issue. Do you think there will be, uh, how about this? Do you think there'll be a year in the future um, where we will see half of large and megachurches affirming? Do you think that year is coming? Know. <laughs> it's definitely the the big issue, the big issue, mm-hmm. I think, um, along with the exclusivity of the gospel. But I think uh, that's probably closer to everybody's heart. The the uh, uh, LBGQ uh, issue, and um, yeah, we talk about that too. Uh, you know, that that's a difficult one because. Uh, it's easier or it's easy to throw rocks from a distance, but when you know somebody and you're up close and personal and you have ongoing conversations, uh, it becomes a, a more complicated issue. Well, half of the, I don't, I don't know if half of them, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know a lot of guys are, you know, having those conversations it be, because it's a, it's a principled thing on, if you have two sides, let's say that there are two sides of the issue. It's a principled thing on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, on one side, it's principled that, you know, uh, that the Bible says this and seems to be clear. And there are reasons, even when I don't understand, uh, there are obvious, you know, I'm not the God of the universe and, you know, he is, I'm not, he's doing just fine. And so he, he must have reasons. Um, and then on the other side, uh, there are principled stands. And so it's going to take a lot of conversations and a lot of understanding. I know that. Well, you know, I think that they're, they're, what I'm suggesting is possible is the the least principled people may move first in some ways. And then at the same time, I think there's probably churches who are having a lot of conversations behind closed doors where they are trying to wait for the right time to do that. Um you know, and I think some churches will. I mean, how do you deal with the notion that the model that you have may also attract, like lumped in your category, are maybe large churches that will go wherever the masses go? 
Do you think there's possibly yeah. a lack of principle in some megachurches? I'm not naming any names. No need to do anything like that. But do, you know, with the amount of commoditization and the amount of money and the power that can go along with this, the megachurch model seems to attract certain uh, congregations, leaders, and things like that to where they're, they're, they're less about principle and more about growth and size, money, it's stuff possible. like that. There's always that, yeah. It, and, but if you want to make that case right now— um, I think that the tipping uh, that the tipping point is the other direction. In other words, if you we, we've seen several situations where churches have come out and said, you know, we're going to take a different stand on that, and uh, they lose people, money, whatever. So I think the pressure is the other direction. The question is, what happens when the pressure mm-hmm. changes? Well, let's and stay on that for a second. Do you do you mm-hmm. think that there will be more large, uh, you know, five digit attendance mega churches in the future or less? Will there be more? I think there'll be more. You think that's a trend that'll continue? There'll be more and more mega churches as yeah. time goes on. I mean, I was I was with um, I was with uh, Elmer Towns. He came down to talk to me about a book that he's doing. He's eighty five years old and he's written one hundred and seventy books, something like that. He and Jerry Falwell founded Liberty University, and so he wrote all kinds of books about you know churches, church growth, and whatever. And so I asked him, I said, uh, um, what do you think about, you know, and, and you, you might say, well, he's 85 years old and he's in the past or whatever. He's a really forward thinking kind of a guy, he really is. And he said, you know, I used to know just about every large church in America. And uh, he said, I, I have no idea mm-hmm. anymore. And uh, and I kind of, you know, I mean, maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll change around. It's It's very, it's possible. I'm one that doesn't think so. I think that there will, I think that there will continue to be both large and small. I don't think it's all going to dump to one side or the other. No, not all. Be but less of the middle, less of the middle, maybe. Probably less yeah. of the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think, I can I see think that. That's possible. Uh, now, once a church gets this size of, you know, uh, a seacoast size church, New Spring elevation. Do you feel like there's more pressure on the lead guy to make sure he says things the right way, <laughs> avoid saying this, and, hey, let's stay away from that? Because once you get to this place, I mean, you are you have to pay money for, uh, you know, office spaces, buildings, and salaries, and, and all that stuff. So people, people are depending on, you know, a church like Seacoast to, to keep bringing in money, mm-hmm. so... I mean, Joey Svenson can get paid. That's you know? right. So if you if you take a hard or principled stand on something you believe in, you you know it could result in the shrinking of your church and the laying off of your some of your best friends and, and workers. Though that that seems like to be a pinch point. That is that that's what you're getting at, right, Joey? Is that the the question is is that ever a consideration? Uh, obviously, obviously, you need to be wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I have uh, I have a philosophy of of uh, being successful in ministry is uh, uh, really four things. Love God, treat everybody right, treat people right, um, work hard, and don't do anything stupid. And <laughs> you can you can take a principled stand in a stupid mm-hmm. way and, uh, you know, really have a lot of consequences. I don't, to me, I'm going to be real honest with you. Yes, I think about that. No, I I don't think I have ever been. Um, I guess money doesn't motivate me personally, and I've always had the feeling that 
Um, God is going to supply for for the church. We've seen the largest givers in our church uh, leave, you know, on several occasions down through the years, sometimes over, you know, just moving or uh, sometimes over, you know, some of the direction that we've taken. And uh, I've always felt like, you know, it's God's church. He's going to provide. So I'm, I'm just being honest with you about that. But let me give you another, let me give you another thing. Let me, let me give you one of those controversial things, at least in the South. So, um, so we live in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Uh, Trump won our uh, city almost two to one, probably closer to three to two in the election. And uh, Trump comes out a few weeks ago and the whole kneeling down for the national mm-hmm. anthem, okay? And, you know, yeah. fire them, whatever. And so um, I talk to veterans. I talk to people of color. Uh, you know, I have my own opinions on the whole thing. And so I got up on a Sunday one week. I don't know if you remember this, Joey. And uh, I said, um, so you're going to leave church today and you're going to have, uh, you're going to watch some African-American football players are going to kneel down. And I said, here's going to be your reaction. If you're white and you go to our church, uh, about 80% of you are going to say, get up. It's, you know, don't dishonor the flag and on and on and on. I said, if you're black, there's going to be about the same number, maybe higher, that are going to say it's not about the flag. It's about, why don't you ask why they're kneeling down? It's a bigger issue than that. And so I just encouraged the congregation. I said, let's have conversations about this, not just knee-jerk reactions. Well, after that, um, a a politician in our church, a uh, uh, African-American politician who's a Democrat, and they've been coming for just a little while. Um, I had a meeting with him that week, and I just asked him about, how'd you feel about all that? And he said, well, my wife was beside herself. She loved it. I, she came and hugged me afterwards. She was crying. Thanks for going there. He said, me, on the other hand, he said, you didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. He said, you, you should have gone farther. I said, well, talk to me about where I should have gone. He gave me, you know, and I knew what he was going to say. And here's my answer. I said, you know what? I can go there right now and just just go after it. That's where I'm headed. But I don't want to run off all the rednecks. I don't think that does any of us any good. Mm-hmm. What I would like to do is bring the rednecks along with me, which I think changes the the uh, you know changes the culture. And so that's a long answer, but that's mm-hmm. that's what I think. Yeah, I think that's reasonable, and that that's what's so hard about the times we're in because they're very polarizing, like, you know. Like, very. And it's not that, on one hand, I hate image control and people being careful and calculating this and that or whatever versus just saying what they feel and letting the chips fall where they may. But on the other hand, you have to, I mean, you know, for instance, we have a lot of people on, on very farther conservative than us and very farther progressive than us. And they're both; they'll both be frustrated with where we're at. But you know, the anchor has to always be what you really feel like, and it's okay to. Is you know, I think about things as moving directionally. As long as we're moving in the right direction, I th- I'm okay with debating about what speed and how aggressive to be with that. So I think that makes a, a good amount of sense. Um, another issue that we talk about a lot on here, and we just complain about nonstop, is why the lack of uh, transparency in the, the Pay for pastors. That's a thing that people love to complain about on the internet, and I think we typically share that, but I'll give you an opportunity to defend it. But, you know, I think we'd like to know what all the pastors and people get paid. Wouldn't that, <laughs> it seems like it'd be useful to everybody from, from our view, yeah, largely. That'd, that'd give us something else to uh, argue about mm-hmm. and complain about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if everybody was doing it, maybe it'd be, be a good thing. What we do at Seacoast, uh, 
is uh, we, uh, and, you know, there are abuses on all sides of this issue, but uh, we we tell our, our people that there are surveys and studies um, that go in-depth on this. We take it very, very seriously. And uh, you've got low, medium, and high, and uh, we try to peg ours at medium. And we, you could make a case for high, but mm-hmm. we don't. We peg it at medium. Um, Joey will tell you we should peg it a little bit higher than that, probably. And and we're trying to. That's the biggest complaint that we have as, uh, among our staff, at least it had been over the last couple of years, is that um, that they're not paid paid enough. And I would agree with that. Um, I'll be self-serving here just a little bit. I, I, uh, for reasons of my own have chosen, uh, to peg, not, not to allow, uh, uh, my salary to, um, to grow at a rate that it could, uh, because I don't peg it myself. Other people come with raises and I'll say no. And so I announced to our church that I'm the lowest paid mega pastor uh, in America that I know of on the lists, you know, I'd see the list, know all this stuff. And, uh, they kind of cheered and I said, well, why are you cheering? You should be generous, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, uh, so, so there are, there's general, you know, what in your mind would happen if, uh, if you just said the number, if you just told everybody exactly what some people, like what do you think would happen? Now, just for you, I'm saying, if you just told everybody what you make, what would be the negative? For some people, it would be huge. For other people, it would be uh, why don't we pay you more? Mm-hmm. So, and maybe there's coming a day where that becomes the standard deal, but mm-hmm. that's, that's just kind of where it is. Yeah. I think that might be one thing. The last thing that I have, and I'm, we can talk about whatever else you want. I just wanted, I just wanted to press through the things that I know we always complain about or talk about on the show, but, uh, how about the restoration of pastors and people like the Driscoll's and the Perry Nobles? They're out, they're right back. You know, that strikes us not, not well. And many people. Well, and, and we can use Darren Patrick as as context mm-hmm. for this because uh, a lot of people have written us saying, "What's Darren Patrick doing at Seacoast? What does Joey think about that?" And 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 all yeah, that. So. Sure. Um. Again, uh, well, I won't go again. I was gonna. Well, I will. One size doesn't fit all. Everybody's different. Uh, I think that when there is a a fall, a moral you know, financial or abusive or sexual, um, there, there's something wrong. There's, there's a, uh, there's usually hiding. There's a pattern of deception. So there needs to be, um, a restoration process. That's my opinion. Some people would say we don't need them back. There doesn't need to be a restoration process. My opinion is there needs to be a restoration process uh, to restore them back to the position or to restore them as to individuals? something to something to uh, oftentimes you I, I think that you have a gifting that is um you know that's a god thing that the body of christ needs you know uh, one of those individuals i had a talk with and i said uh, i actually am glad that you uh fell or Whatever, because I didn't think you were a very good model for um, future generations. But we need you back because you speak to culture in ways other people don't. But we don't need the old angry you. 
We need the new and improved. Oh, you just gave it yeah, away. Yeah, Perry's not that angry. Yeah. <laughs> I just gave it away. <laughs> but I did, I, and I believe that. I believe, I believe uh, you know, he speaks to culture in ways that I can't. Uh, but we don't need the anger. We don't need the abuse. We need the, we need the the uh, spirit filled, um, fruitful, you know, guy. Doesn't mean he's going to be non controversial like me. But uh, mm-hmm. we we just need we need that. So I believe in restoring. Um, here's what I also. But believe. the re- restoring on somebody like him on the the, the angry fella is uh, is the problem there being m- many. If not majority, do not uh, recognize the reconciliation on their personal side. There's there's still yeah. plenty of of stuff that is unaddressed and and completely unrepentant is the view of most people that I know on that. So regardless of whether it's angry or not, yeah. still a major personal and, and restoration po- problem there. Possible. I don't know. I, I'm not really uh, strongly involved in the restoration process there. So I don't know. You might be right. I don't know how far they've gone, Perry. You know, I don't know. Uh, he went to rehab. Uh, I don't know what else has gone on with him. What I will speak to is, well, let me say, let me say two things. I'll speak to Darren, okay, and is because That's I've good. been involved yep. in that process. Uh, but um, there's a difference between brokenness and woundedness. And when a person is wounded, they and they, let's say they fall or get caught or whatever, and and they jump back into ministry still in this wounded state, they wound people. You know, and that's just the way it is. Brokenness, we minister out of our brokenness, which is a good thing. Now, who knows whether a person's been broken or wounded? Yeah, I don't know. I think you got to be close to them and figure it out. But let's talk about Darren just a minute. So uh, Darren uh, had, a, had a fall. And, Can you speak uh, to the nature of that fall for people that aren't familiar? Would I? Yeah, I mean, what was yeah. what was the issue there? Yeah, the the initial issue was um, a uh, an inappropriate uh, uh, text conversation, and we're not talking about a whole bunch of them, but it was inappropriate. Okay, and that opened the door to um, uh, also um, uh, anger. Uh, abusive leadership. That's what I'm going to say uh, with the elders and what have you at the church. And uh, so they, you know, they, they fired him. If somebody gets fired for a, uh, an inappropriate text, you know, it's not an inappropriate text that got him fired. That was just one of the symptoms. And there were deeper yeah. symptoms in this whole, whole thing. And so, uh, and, and you know, there, if you were involved in it, there may have been, there were relationships that were very, very wounded in the whole process. And so uh, Darren chose to um, submit himself to a process, and it was grueling. It was about a year and a half. It involved the elders uh, at the journey. It involved— That's his church. That's his church. It involved a company uh, that— kind of helps do this stuff. It involves several uh, pastors. I was one of them. And it was grueling. He had to go back to every one of the people at Journey that identified themselves as being wounded by him mm-hmm. 
and sit down one-on-one with him. He, he told me, he said, the first person I sat down with, I thought, yeah, that's not me, you know, whatever. He said, by the third person hearing the same things over and over again, he said, ain't guilty, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I th- I don't know how many he sat down with, 30 or 40. Plus, he met with all the elders and the staff and all of that. So initially, he was just like, ah, these people are a little off. They don't know what they're you talking know, about. You know, the haters going to hate. <laughs> right. Yeah. But when he heard the same thing over, over and, and over and over, and over, over again, wow. he said, yeah, mm-hmm. he said, uh, uh, they have a point. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so he went through that process. And that part of the process, I think, was excellent. It was grueling, but it, it was excellent. Other parts of the process, I honestly told my wife, it was if it was my child, I'd pull him out of it. Because it seemed that there were times when uh, the process was more about retribution than restoration or reconciliation. And uh, I think processes are always messy, mm-hmm. okay? So, but he went through it. And at the end of the first part of it, which was officially a year, it was about a year and a half since the, the uh, you know, the, the, the initial revelation of his sin, um, uh, then uh, the uh, the group decided to put me as the one in charge of that process and bring Darren a little bit closer to uh, under me. And not everybody agreed with that. I'll be real honest with you. Um, but as a whole, the team said, "Okay, we're going to do that." And uh, and so now Darren is in a one year process of supervised ministry, where I'm I'm his pastor. He'll tell you that. And if he's going to speak anywhere, if he's going to uh, do anything, he calls me, uh, clears it with me, clears his finances with me, accountability and all that kind of thing. Um, Now, do I think it's a good process Uh, overall? Absolutely. Uh, I believe that Darren has gifts that the body of Christ uh, benefits from. And uh, I think he has submitted himself to the process in ways that I probably couldn't have. Toby said something really interesting when the a lot of the Perry Noble stuff happened. We can we we can leave his name out of it, but it's still a, a good example. I think he was at Elevation Church, and he said, uh, and he was he was speaking there, and he said something along the lines of, you know, there was a huge awakening, and God said, "I'm not done with you yet." I think Toby asked a really good question. He's just like, okay, you're, you're right, but why does that mean church leadership on a stage teaching everybody? Like, for some pastors, would you guess that what caused their downfall in the first place was the position that they were in and they just don't need to go back? Uh, maybe. I think that it's deeper than that. I think that, uh, that um, uh, for some... Um, the uh, ego or even what's deeper than that, usually it's insecurity, is going to manifest itself, uh, whether it's uh, on a preaching thing or in a business relationship. Do I think that some guys should not go back? Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Especially if there hasn't been um, repentance. And uh, here's the problem. Uh, For you guys or for me uh, to... Uh, point the finger and say, well, there hasn't been repentance. How do we know? Maybe there are fruits of repentance. I don't know. But we all see it differently. And uh, honestly, I, I probably will agree with you on some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but I, 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 I have been through 
Um, but th- there's, I mean, this, you had to forgive me for this, but the, in cases like, yeah. let's say Mark Driscoll, if you know there's a list of dozens of people who are saying, I am the victim, I am unreconciled, then that's, you know, you, you can't just say, well, I don't know. Who knows? You can't say, who, who knows better. in this case? It would be better if Mark would, would uh, um, take an initiative and do something there. Yeah, it would be better. But you know, whatever, I'm not Mark and I'm not his counselor. Mm-hmm. From where I sit, it would be a, having seen um, um, Darren, you know, uh, some very positive things uh, from that, I'd, I'd say it's a, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the thing too is like with Darren, we're hearing a real story of what restoration is and what it could be. So that is, that, that's refreshing because you don't get to hear that. What you normally hear is, like here in Nashville, Pete Wilson uh, said, I'm exhausted or something. And then all of a sudden you find out it's way more than that. And Crosspoint TV takes a huge hit. The Some of the problems I see, and I mean, it's funny. I, I said this, I probably have said this to Joey, or I know I said it to some people. I worked at Mars Hill. Mark Driscoll was there. And I at the, at the time, and maybe I even still do, think as far as preaching, is one of the most phenomenal preachers I've mm-hmm. ever seen, heard. I still sneak over to his Trinity Church website and listen sometimes <laughs> on Sunday morning because he's that good. Now, I'll oh, say this phenomenal. too. Uh, the only person I ever thought that rivaled his preaching was Greg Surratt, you. And <laughs> I always think like you are smarter than you let on. I mean, you're almost probably two steps ahead of everybody in the room usually. And if you were, you would be a really good bad guy. I mean, real <laughs> good bad guy. I like that. I know that. That's a good I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, I can't yeah, believe I can't believe you made it as a pastor and didn't become a politician or something. I mean, I the Lord that. really has. Does, I believe He has His hand on you. But well, most of Toby, most of my family were criminals before. <laughs> oh, this, that's right. So. You're right. Your family, hey, like, weren't they a part of like the Lincoln assassination or something? Yes, like they that? were. They assassinated Lincoln. Oh my gosh! So uh, you know, it runs yeah, in it your blood. A, but uh, a I, I mean, just was the a first phenomenal preacher. <laughs> but you have something somebody like Mark Driscoll doesn't have. One of the things that is is great is that a lot of people don't know you. And I think that's intentional. You could be way more famous. You could have way more control. Everything you do a lot of things under the radar. And I do think that's intentional. The problem I have is somebody like Pete Wilson. A lot of these churches are, for example, Mark, uh, Mark Driscoll, it's proven now that a mega church can disappear based on what happens with one man mm-hmm. and yeah. Pete Wilson, they've lost a lot of money The the tithings down, all of these things are down. And so what my fear is, is that it ends up being a personality-driven rock star pastor, and there's tons of churches right now that if a pastor who we all sin, so we know a pastor is going to sin. I mean, nobody escapes sin, but uh, no matter how big we think the sin is or how small we think it is, it seems as if somebody, like, why would we, if we didn't know, if we didn't know what their restoration is, then it seems like we would just err on the side of, yeah, let's don't do it. Like, Having worked at Mars Hill, I have so many people that were hurt by Mark Driscoll. I mean, by his leadership, by the way he left, by the way he didn't uh, seek restoration, by by several of the things. So we know that. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I would say he is not qualified. Now, same way as I would if that would have been a deacon, same way I would have been if it's me as a worship leader. There's tons of things that you could say. Now, we, you can take that level as high as you want and as low as you want. But the fear I have is that... Uh, maybe within megachurch. And that's why I was interested. Like I can remember sitting at Mars Hill and they listed the top, uh, it was this big staff meeting right when I got there back in 2012, uh, 2011, 2012. And they listed all the megachurches and Jess, my wife had just worked at Seacoast. We had just moved from Charleston and they didn't list Seacoast as one of the most influential, biggest 
uh, churches in America. They didn't even list you guys. And I was like, man, that's because you guys don't try to pursue the numbers if you're growing and, and all that stuff. But do you see that with your crew? Because if you're in the mega church crew, that's how are, are the other churches being built upon the rock of the main guy? Like, I mean, it, that's what the danger is. Like, we see that with Perry Noble. His personality is so amazing. He does have a gift. And I don't, I, I feel bad that he turned to alcohol or that he's gotten a divorce and all this stuff. I think that you're right. He is needed. But if he shouldn't come back, there's a lot of guys that shouldn't come back right now. And, I, and maybe people are thinking he should come back, but what's the hurry? What if it's 10 years down the road he comes back? Why, like, why were you so sure with Darren Patrick that he should be back within two years, for example? Um, individual I, I i saw him uh uh go through a process i felt like he responded properly in the process um he wasn't begging for you know when's when am i going to go back and do this again i think he could plan a church tomorrow but he that's not where it is for him right now he feels hey i need to be under ministry uh, might be might be under um uh, supervised ministry for the rest of his life. Who knows? I, I think we all should be to some degree. I I have a uh, um, saying that, you know, every pastor needs to sit at a table, at least one, with a group of, of men who love him but are not uh, impressed by him. And uh, I don't think Mark had that, to be honest with you. I hope he does now. Uh, I don't think a lot of guys, when you get to a certain level and you have, they, they have gifts, you know, but uh, you get to a certain level and uh, you look around and you say, who are my peers? And sometimes you, uh, well, it's, it's just hard for a guy to. Well, is it okay for a pastor to be a rock star? Like the, the you know, uh, all the people in, what's the church in New York now? The guys. Carl like, Lenz. You know, <laughs> yeah, Carl Lenz or Stephen Furtick or whatever, like cool guys that are hip and trendy and their churches are growing like uh, if the church is growing, is that a sign God's hands on it? Like, is it, Not necessarily, is it a good thing guys, that they're rock stars? You guys, are, you guys are hip and trendy, and your podcast is growing. Mm-hmm. Is that a bad thing? Good yes. Thing. <laughs> you, should, you should see the nature of my personal relationships are in shambles, but I'm rich, so it's okay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's what it's about. It? Now, you know, it, that's interesting because, uh, you know, one of the reasons— I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but one of the reasons that we probably weren't on that list you guys read is because it probably was the Outreach Magazine top 100 fastest growing churches or whatever. Yep. And uh, we pulled our numbers from that several mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, I have that experience all the time when I say, yeah, Joey, he works at Seacoast, and, 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 and everybody just looks, you know, they don't, you know, out in the rest of the country a lot of times, you know, it's a big mega church. And they're yeah. like, yeah, I'm not, yeah, like 14,000. I don't Huge know if that's the number. I was like tens of thousands of people, 14,000 people. They're like, huh? I'm like, okay. I mean, but I think that I, I do, I admire that too, because. Why'd you pull it? Because there were several things, but it's probably more about my dysfunction that when I looked at the numbers and uh, I felt really good if I was bigger than some mm-hmm. people and really bad if yeah, I that's wasn't. Right. Yeah, that's a problem. And, uh, and then you look at, I, I'm out with a lot of pastors, you know, and uh, because of what I do with the Ark and, um, you know, there's a hundred churches in America that make the list that feel really good. And there's like 300,000 that don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's okay. It, it, it's my own deal. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest anybody else do that, but we decided, in fact, a couple of years after we decided that our, our name was still showing up on the list. 
And uh, so I asked them, I said, where are you getting the, the numbers? And they said, well, we're making them up. And I said, well, don't make them up anymore. <laughs> I, I like that. I do respect that and admire that and a lot of other things yeah, that, that you do, uh, Pastor Greg. Do do you guys have anything else? We can we can move on here. But I think I think thank you for uh, allowing us to address some of the stuff that we talk about on the show a lot. Sure. Yeah, well, a couple of things um, that before we let Pastor Greg go is – um, a lot of the conferences that I've been to, I've heard a lot of people say this kind of stuff and I've, I've shared similar sentiments. How is there a way of figuring out what's the line of leading people in worship and being a distraction? In worship? <laughs> because Seacoast yeah. uh, C- does a, a pretty good job with that. Uh, and I say that because I can compare it to the other stuff that I've seen. I mean, yeah. do you get frustrated with that? Kind oh, of yeah, stuff? absolutely. Can I back up? I want to answer that question, but I, I, I have one more thing I want to say about that celebrity thing that I think might be good. Okay. Um, the, the word celebrity kind of is related to the word celebrated. And I think that if you're a Christian leader, you should be celebrated. You, you, you should live the, the type of lifestyle that is worthy of being celebrated. And the larger you get, the more people are going to celebrate it. The question is, how do you steward celebrity? Do you, do you, uh, uh, you know, uh, feed it? Uh, do you, you know, there, there's good and bad ways to do it. So anyway, maybe that wasn't such a good thing, but I, I thought it was good popped into my head. Well, it'd be Let's nice if celebrities were people whose lifestyle we celebrated, but the problem is most of them are more these days are just as much infamous. I mean, the opposite yeah. of celebrate. I mean, I, I'm, I won't, I'm not I, nobody I, to say know, that specifically, me, but that drives me crazy. That's a conversation I have with my wife all the time. I hate it. People will say he's such a good pastor. They'll say that about me. Wow, what a great pastor. You don't know. You don't know if I how I'm loving my wife, how I treat my kids, unless you're yeah. up close and personal to me. I just happen to have a gift to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that doesn't mean I'm a good guy. So anyway, let's let's go to your let's go to your question. Yeah, worship drives me crazy sometimes. Um I am grateful for those who are gifted to lead us in worship. Uh, but you take the celebrity thing and multiply it by about 10 and that's kind of, you know, what they have to deal with. Uh, one, you know, there's a band that's out of our church, uh, that I went to Red Rocks to see play Red Rocks in Colorado, you know, great venue, 10, 12,000 people. And I, uh, I, it was packed and man, people were going nuts. And in that moment I had two feelings. Number one, I'm proud of these guys. Man, they've worked hard. I know how hard they've worked. Number two, I am so afraid for these guys because these people are worshiping them. And uh, I think every weekend on a stage, you have certain number of people who are worshiping the the performer rather than worshiping, you know, the God who we're supposed to worship. Uh, I, I think the key word to all of that is just authenticity. Just be real, you know. Uh, some people are hip and cool authentically. <laughs> Other people try real hard to be hip and cool and it's not, it's not cool. And, uh, so and you don't have to be hip and cool. I mean, I, I've never been hip and cool. I'd like to be, but you know, that's why I have Joey around. I just do <laughs> yeah. it vicariously through him. Regular Joey's a regular Carl Lentz. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not at that level, but you know what? Let me, let me just say that about this, about Carl Lentz. I don't know Carl well, but Carl is, 
having conversations and reaching people that I'll never have conversations with. Mm -hmm. um, so just because he's hip and cool, if maybe he is, and yeah. he hangs with Justin Bieber, is that a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. No, but it's okay to make fun of him. That's all I'm saying. It's it funny. Is. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Problem. That's all. <laughs> when when you have a new church plant, is the majority of people that are at that church plant transfers from other churches? And if so, is that okay? Um, I can guess. I don't know. I know Tim Keller uh, quotes a statistic that says uh, new church plants reach six times as many unchurched people as existing churches do. I don't know where you got the statistic. If it's, if it's true, then that's a great thing. Good thing. Um, probably a lot of reasons for that, but, uh, there, you know, anytime a church starts, there's going to be transfer, uh, transfer growth. Some of that's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, so they're not dropping out, they're transferring. That's yeah. positive. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, I think, uh, new churches stimulate reaching people that don't normally go, but sometimes a brand new church comes to town and sucks all of the certain demographic out of all the other churches. We've seen that happen. Um, yep. but, uh, yep. is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. You probably have to be omniscient to, um, to know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know? So, and I'm not very good. Right on. Well, thank awesome. you for your time today, Pastor Greg. Yeah. We appreciate it very I've much. never seen Joey sweat this much. Yep. <laughs> he Unbelievable. Is, he is a little bit right up here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hope he looks you, know you in the did, eye after the interview. This, guys, I just want to say this before we go. Joey gave me his wife's headphones so I'd look like some kind of a dork yeah, right. on this cool hip program. Well, it's, I, either, it's either that or wear my earbuds, which you would I'd not I'd share an do. earbud with you. <laughs> hey, re real quick, and I'll say this from personal experience, um, the best-selling book that you wrote. The, uh, the, the non-New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it really is a very, very entertaining read, and each chapter is kind of a story in itself. And I, I seriously, especially if you are in the ministry field, you need to check it out. So it's irreverent. How, how do you tell people to, to search that? Because that's kind of... Uh, you know, it's it's on Amazon or whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you can buy it, but it's Kindle because cool. it didn't sell enough to uh, justify them printing it again. So... It was a great book, though. Well, there's probably some tricks that you could learn from Mark Driscoll. Oh, we're not going to go there. We're not gonna go there. I just confronted one of our church planners for buying all kinds of followers on Instagram. So. That was a good one, Joey. I appreciate all it. All right, Pastor Greg, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Greg. All right. All right. Greg Surratt. Joey, wow. thank you for doing that. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Greg, for doing that. He's lost his plausible deniability. He knows what we're up to now. So hopefully things continue <laughs> as as long as we what what he had to do bleep the f word when you say it and we're all good, right? And keep on roll, keep on group. It is crazy. I wasn't joking. Like I, as far as uh, I mean, he has the quality that Mark Driscoll doesn't. And I don't want to bash on Driscoll. I'm just saying when I was there, I thought I I'd never heard anything like Mark Driscoll, and then. Uh, just coming back to Seacoast after I was like, man, Greg really is a great preacher, but he has this, that pastoral thing that helps him keep it all together. I mean, that, that is the real thing. Like I've said this, like Joey, I don't know if he's a good preacher 
at all, but he's the most prat pastor. Not I saying know. he's not. He I just might, don't know yeah. if he is. He might be a he might be a fine. I've heard Joey I'm preach a couple times. No, I'm he's, unbelievable. I've heard you preach a couple times, and it was all right. But <laughs> as far as a pastor, you really have that. But Greg is one of those people that has both, and that's how. I believe he's able to allow you to still work there and see the bigger picture. That's what I'm saying. Like I feel like when he sees the bigger picture and is okay to take some hits and gains and losses as they come. So, right on. Well, yeah. time's up here, guys. we got other stuff to yep. get to, so I want to thank the BC Club. Uh, oh, yeah. I also want to say, yes, of course, the uh, BC Con is sold out. The conference in Nashville is sold out. However... We are ha- the the concert. We've bumped up to a bigger venue. So anybody that wants to come to Nashville or is going to be around in the time, or if you live in Nashville, Derek Minor, Kings Kaleidoscope, Ooh. As Cities Burn, Ooh. and Emory nice. are playing a show Good on Saturday Lord. night, January twenty seventh. I believe show. it's at Rocket Town now, and we're going to keep selling tickets and maybe even bump up the next room. Who knows? But we we're, we're, tickets are open for that event. That is a concert worth driving coming into town for. It's not a tour. Um, although there are Emory dates going to Florida where we are taking as cities burn. But with King's Kaleidoscope and Derek Minor, that's a one-night event in Nashville that you do not want to miss, and there are tickets for that. And you can hobnob with other BC uh, people who will be there for the conference, and, you know, we'll be around. So let's uh, let's sell a bunch of tickets to that show and make it a really, really, really special night. And if you want to sign up on the waiting list for the conference, please do. I don't think we're going to open up a ton more tickets, but we'll be able to figure that out and get a good gauge of what kind of venue we need next time and notify you, blah, 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 stuff like that. But thank you to the BC Club. We got names of BC Club people that fund this and make it all happen. Yeah, Magnus S. S. Piseth, uh, TJ Lovo, uh, Bad Coffee, uh grace e maris nick turner brent cox garrett wind sarah moran ed jervis and joseph pellerito mm-hmm. thank you guys for joining they went to the bcclub.com go check it out and let me say also that the bc club people i mentioned at the top of the show all the things that have happened to, that have been rough for for me and loss and people dying dog mom all that stuff bc club has been a, and just a really just really means a lot to actually have people care, support, react, stuff that isn't normally on my radar. But when things are rough for me and people actually come send messages that are sincere and that they're sorry or whatever, this actually unexpectedly to me uh, means a lot. So, I, And that's yeah. true. So thank you guys for for your support. Uh, you know, not financially, but awesome. it, it really I is true. Close, I want somebody close to my family to die. Yeah, so you, you, you'll, you'll love it. That. It's great. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, really. you get tons of attention online. It's awesome. Yeah. I highly recommend Gosh. it. Gosh, I, I know what to put on my prayer list. <laughs> yeah. Or if you cheat on Priscilla, people, <laughs> no. anything bad a pastor could do, you'll That's be true. you'll be supported. I was about to say no, <laughs> but then you're right. I mean, you will get words of encouragement. <laughs> oh yeah, hey brother, you just had too much pressure on you. <laughs> All right, see y'all see later. Y'all. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.